in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's riding on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Nets beat the Spurs in overtime. James Harden had 30 points, 14 assists, 15 rebounds, and zero turnovers. But the end of regulation was pretty hilarious in that the Nets had the ball with the two-point lead and like 13 seconds left. There was 12 on the shot clock. And Kyrie Irving, for some reason, drove down the lane and shot a layup with seven seconds left in the game instead of just dribbling the clock out or forcing them to foul him. He missed the layup, and the Spurs went the other way, and somehow James Harden, like, clotheslined Deontay Murray of the Spurs. They didn't call anything, but Murray stood up, grabbed the ball, and made a buzzer beater to force overtime. Now, the Nets ended up winning in overtime, but it was the most incompetent basketball you'll see from the Brooklyn Nets in the final 15 seconds of that game. So are you saying hero ball by Kyrie, bad move by Jimmy Harden? Yes, bad defense by uh, Jimmy bad Harden, defense to be by more Jimmy specific. Um, yes, not a great uh, end of regulation for the Nets. But I will say this. The Nets are the most fun NBA team to watch since the Warriors in the Warriors' prime. Because you have on this team... James Harden's an unbelievable passer, and his assist numbers have gone through the roof since he came over to Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving's got one of the best handles in the NBA. He's always been great at that. And both of them have tremendous shot making, where they'll make difficult shots, they'll pull up and knock down threes, or even mid-range jumpers for Kyrie. That are, they're just difficult shots, which is fun to watch. And that doesn't even include Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's not even playing right now, and they're still incredibly fun. And incredibly good. I don't know if defensively they're going to be good enough to win a title, but I am all in on watching the Nets play all the time because the team, they're just genuinely one of the most enjoyable basketball yeah. teams to watch of all time. And they've only been together for like 15 games. I think uh, we had Jamison on yesterday. I think they've, you know, of late they've actually, it's all relative, of course, because they're not a great defensive team, but they've been better defensively. I think the problem is, like you said, when you get into the playoffs and it's just one team for seven games, and you're not very good defensively, I don't know if you can win it. It's not like, you know, every other night you're playing different teams uh, when they have seven games to focus on you. So they are fun to watch, though, man. And when Durant comes back and he's healthy, I mean, offensively, they're, they're, they're amazing to watch. Next question. The NIT will take place in Frisco, Texas this year. They have cut it down to 16 teams. It'll be March 17th through the 28th. My question, though, do you think teams will back out of the NIT this season? No, not on purpose because it's the end of the year. I mean, it's not in the middle of the year where you're worried about, hey, we can get to the NCAA tournament. We might have a COVID outbreak. It's the end of the year. If you're good to go and you don't have COVID issues, I mean, the CBI, the CTI, the SII and all that nonsense. I don't know if I do that one because, you know, I don't know how important that is. But the NIT still think I still think to some some schools, if not a lot, hold some cachet because the NIT. And again, if I'm a team with no COVID problems and I know it's the end of the year anyway, why wouldn't I want to go to the NIT? You know, it's a bubble. It's, you know, you're not having to travel except one time. So I don't think anyone backs out on purpose. Now, teams might have issues and you're going to back out because of that. But I think whoever's invited, if there's no COVID issues, they will absolutely go play in the NIT. So if you're Duke and you're Mike Krzyzewski, and who's on the bubble right now, 
You get invited to go to Frisco for 11 days to stay in a bubble yeah. in Frisco, Texas. You're saying yes to that? I think he might. I think he... I, I don't know. He He's a lot about perception also. And if they have no COVID issues, if they don't go... I mean, it's Duke. He shouldn't worry about it. He's obviously won enough to where he shouldn't worry about what people think. But guys with egos worry sometimes about that. And I think the perception of that would be a really bad optic if they did not go and play in a tournament like the NIT, if they invited him and, you know, and it wasn't because of COVID. He just said, no, we're, we're above that. I think he would go play it. I He might not want to in, in it deep down and say, oh, it's the NIT, but it's a horrible optic if he doesn't go to that thing uh, just because he would think he's above it. Now, it's Krzyzewski, so he could easily think that, but I still <laughs> think he would go. I, I think he would go play. I mean, if I was Shashevsky, I wouldn't, because I'd be sitting there saying, "Well, listen, I'm 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 coaching Duke. Nobody's gonna be happy yeah. we made the NIT, even if we win the thing. Nobody's gonna be thrilled we won the NIT. That's that's so far below the standard for Duke. Whereas, like, if you're Boise State, for example, I think Boise State has seven NCAA tournament appearances and has never won an NCAA tournament game. Like, if you're Boise State, who's on the bubble, you're absolutely saying, "Yeah, let's go to the NIT," because that's one of the more successful seasons in your program history so i think it depends on the program and maybe you're right the pressure will be there that they don't back out but if i'm duke i don't i'm not going to the nit why yeah. do i care about the I nit mean, they like i said i think the pressure would make them play i don't think he would be happy with it he's not going to be like throwing a parade because he got into the nit but a lot of things go into it whether it be the conference whoever i think it's a really bad look not to just because you're duke and that would really be the only reason other than covid um, look, there are some tournaments, uh, I think it's laughable that we've seen in the past some teams, you know, not play in these tournaments, not get their kids extra games when they really haven't done anything in a long time. You know who I'm talking about. Um, but I think the NIT 16 games, there would be other really good names in that tournament that don't get in. I mean, legitimate names, you know, not the horrible teams, but legitimate teams that I think he would, I think he would go and not like it. But I mean, with the fans boo when you raise the nit banner would they oh, i mean if he one? wanted i don't even know if there'd be a banner but i don't think they'd raise one <laughs> i don't think they, they, no i mean they, you know if they wanted they'd say thank you very much and get the hell out of frisco texas uh we don't we don't need any yeah nope 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 we don't need a ceremony <laughs> oh god man you know that's a great question some college basketball teams might try to schedule non-conference games after their conference tournaments, according to John Rothstein. So this would be conference tournaments are, are starting this week. Uh, the main ones aren't being played until next week, like, say, the Mountain West. But some conferences are playing this week. And the idea here is that if you're on the bubble and you finish up this week and have basically that would amount to, I think, what, 13, 14 days off before the NCAA tournament, that you might go and try to schedule somebody that could help your resume and help your at-large chances in the NCAA tournament. Do you think anybody actually does this? Well, I, my first question is when I saw this was given the major conferences and what would be quad one games or even quad two games are playing their own conference tournament. So if, if I'm a smaller conference team, right, and I, I, I'm on the bubble and maybe I don't get in my conference tournament and I'm probably not in anyway, who are you going to schedule? Like, I, I don't know who you're scheduling if all these other teams are preparing. And here's the other thing. I mean, there are some teams probably right now not even want to play their conference tournament. We've talked about Gonzaga and others because of COVID and why would we go there? Why would we do that? Who's going to agree to play a one-off a one game against somebody 
in the middle of a week. I, I don't see how people do, I don't see how teams can do this. I don't think there'd be good enough opponents. And I think those opponents would say no anyway. Yeah, finding the opponents would be interesting because Who the idea. Yeah, the idea here would be like, you know, the Missouri Valley finishes up uh, this week. So the idea would yeah. be if you're in the Missouri Valley, you might be decent enough to provide a, a decent game. But who are you playing? Because the rest of the teams yeah. are like, you know, the Sun Belts. I guess the WCCs out there. So like BYU could help you out. But yeah, it is. It would be curious to see if anybody pulls it off just because it's not like you're going to get to go play, you know, a team from the Big Ten that would really help you out. No, and why would BYU want to do that if they think they're in? Great question. Thank you. Washington football team is releasing Alex Smith. They will save $14 million against the cap with that move. Alex Smith is 37 years old. Do you think he plays again? Does he sign for another team? I think he signs with another team, yeah. I think he does. You know, I mean, they they would they won one game without him. I mean, you know, here comes Kyle Allen. I mean, I you know I guess because of what what was his cap hit? 14 million, 15 million? No, it was like 20-something. They had to eat about that 8 million hit? of it. Yeah, okay. they had to eat about 8 million, okay. so right. they saved 14. Yeah, 36, because, you know, the comeback he made. I think someone gives him a shot. I don't I don't think you sign him to be the starter, but um, even with his injury, I, he's, he's, I would think he's better than a lot of backups. There's a lot of bad backups in the league, so I, I think he probably gets a shot. He's not, you know, I mean, he's going to get paid what he's going to get paid. He's not going to get a huge contract at 36 oh. coming off what he did, but... I think, some, I think someone gives him a shot. You think that, and then John Gruden gives him the Marcus Mariota <laughs> deal, where Alex Smith is eating $10 million uh, against the cap. Nathan <laughs> Peterman, can I just have one shot at being the backup? No, Nathan. $1 million. <laughs> go stay in the hotel. You're quarantined just in case. I mean, he would fit really well as the new middle reliever for Tua. Middle reliever. Isn't it? Middle reliever. Call it should we call it the closer because he finishes the yeah, game? Yeah, fair, fair enough. Okay, okay. so, yeah. Well, the, he, he's sort of like the long relief closer. You bring him in for the last three innings of the game to close it out. That's a great, great question. The Atlanta Hawks have fired Lloyd Pierce. Did you know Lloyd Pierce was the head coach of the Hawks before yesterday? It wasn't Lon Kruger? <laughs> no, no chance. I did not either. Um, no. no idea who the coach was. I will they say they fired about... him. I thought they put, you know, they had, I thought they did pretty well. They they've got one of the bright young stars of the league. Uh, they were they really they needed to move on from him at this point in the middle of a weird season and trying to finish. Yeah, the the Hawks are the perfect example of of why the NBA can suck as an organization because the Hawks have some good young players. Like yeah, Trey Young is obviously young incredibly yeah. fun. But they've got, like, John Collins and DeAndre Hunter are two other young guys. They're yeah. under 24. that are solid players. The problem is, is just having a few solid young players, you're still an irrelevant team in the grand scheme of the NBA. I mean, they're not even in the playoffs in the in the East if it happened right now. So, that's the, like, to me, that, like, I love the NBA and the top end of the NBA is very great, but... The bottom end of the NBA, is, you, you look at Atlanta, you're like, okay, yeah, we, everybody loves to watch Trey Young. Trey Young's not good enough to even make them a playoff team, and that sort of, it feels wrong because it's like, ah, well, you'd think you could at least make the playoffs with somebody as fun as Trey Young, but at the end of the day, it doesn't even matter. Do I get too upset? Let me ask you this. Do I get too upset 
about things like uh, Trey Young not being voted an All Star off the top. Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. All right, probably. I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I'll leave it. I can't. I, can't I just wait love to, to watch Trey Young play. I, I think he's tremendous. So when guys like I don't know, I, it's the same old guys in the All Star game. I know they probably deserve it, but Devin Booker, Trey Young, even though you know they usually will get in on injuries, I just like man, it's hard to make those teams apparently. They're basically they're the whole reason there should never be any sort of like fan vote for the all-star game is the one year that the Royals entire starting infield were made all-stars and there was a guy batting 170. Yeah. No, that is exactly why fans should be allowed to vote <laughs> oh, on the okay. all-star game. What are you talking about? That is, it's like, who was the guy that NHL fans made the captain? No, and he no, had like, that's why fans should be yes. allowed to. That's the same premise there. Same exact premise. And by the way, if you're upset about Trey Young not being an all-star, I can't wait for when Jason Witten doesn't get in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. Be like the Padres beating the Dodgers. You won't hear from me the next day. <laughs> you better have someone on deck. You better have someone on deck. All right. Coming up next, uh, we are going to talk to Justin Emerson about the Golden Knights last night. Uh, but first, William Hill is giving you a free 50 bucks to bet when you sign up for a new mobile sports account. Use the promo code GET50. That is G-E-T-5-0. And then when you make a minimum $50 in sports bets, you get a free 50 bucks in your account from William Hill. You get a free $50 and you can place all your bets straight from your phone. It's Bet50, Get50 from William Hill. Just remember the promo code GET50. For more details, visit WilliamHill.us. Tipped away by Stone. It's out to center. Stone trying to get the breakaway. He got slashed. Stone coming in. It's now a two-on-one. Stone centers, and they score! Pacioretty wins it in overtime on the fifth setup by Mark Stone. 5-4 Vegas in overtime. The Knights remain atop the West Division standings. It's the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from the Las Vegas Sun is Justin Emerson. Justin, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing great. We had a hey, fun Justin. night at T-Mobile Arena last night, so it's uh, always a good mood when it's uh, when it's a fun game to write about. Well, right. uh, before before Tyler asks you any questions, because I know Tyler is uh, also very excited when this ever happens. Uh, many congratulations to you and your bride on your impending uh, impending uh, delivery of your child. So I I want to say congratulations. Thanks. Tyler's such a guy. Tyler's such a guy about kids. I'm sure he was excited. Yeah, I beat him to it this morning though. Um, yeah, I like that you I like that you just cut him off to, uh, to yes. beat him to it. But, uh, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Well, my only question is: Are you worried you've made the biggest mistake of your life by having a kid? <laughs> not the slightest, my friend. I could not be more excited to be a dad. I am. I I'm over the moon excited. Uh, all right. Strangest reaction ever to having a kid is being excited <laughs> about it. Um, so. Well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes my wife listens to these hits, so I can't say anything bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, did Mark Stone Caught save the gold helmet? you're a hostage. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She doesn't listen when I'm on the radio. So <laughs> Did Mark Stone save the gold helmets last night? Would they have thrown them into the sun if they had lost again in the gold helmets? So, uh, your friend and ours, Jesse Granger, uh, he loves the gold helmets on Twitter. I walked over to him after the game, and I'm like, I'm very upset that they had this comeback, this incredible game in the gold helmets because it might have saved the gold helmets. And if they would have lost, 
if they would have given up four five-on-five goals or whatever it was, and then they lost and they dropped to 0-3 in the helmet, then maybe they wouldn't wear them again. But now we're going to see them again. So, uh, hmm. yes, I guess to answer your question, he did save them. Is that a good thing? Uh, well, as as much as I despise the gold helmets, they can always look in the they can always look to the public and say, "Hey, at least it wasn't a Mexican tout service." So, um, you know, there's always there's always the positive way to look at things. Yeah, I, I, I guess the helmets weren't the weren't the worst decision this week. So, you know. All right, uh, Justin, do you view should we view the Minnesota Wild as a legitimate threat in the West Division? Yes, I think so. And I wouldn't have said that at the beginning of the year. I thought that they were going to come in and kind of – we had that top tier. We had the Golden Knights, the Avalanche, the Blues, and then it, we, we kind of had who's going to fight for that fourth spot. Is it going to be the, the Wild or the Coyotes or the Kings going to surprise, whatever it was. But, uh, no, I think what we've seen from the Wild is, is that they are a legitimate threat. They've always been a really good defensive team. Vegas has always struggled with that. But now this year they've got goaltending on top of that, and they can score now. I mean, that's something that we haven't seen from the Wild – in their history is it is an ability to to put the puck in the net from multiple lines and we saw last night uh, Marcus Foligno had two goals Nick Nino scored Jordan Greenway picked up a good one I mean these are these are legitimate scores and Kaprizov didn't even didn't even score last night so uh, yes I think the Wild are are good on offense they're good on defense and they're good on goaltending and I and I don't think it's a mirage and watching them last night I think solidified that. Uh, and we talked about this to open the show, and, 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 you know, we made the point, look, the rosters change every year. Obviously, they're new teams. But when you go through his history, this has not been the team that Fleury probably wants to play. Is there anything to that in your mind? At this level, do guys you think ever even get in their heads? Like, And you know Fleury knows everyone he's ever played against in every stat. Is there any of that with him, or is this just a situation where, for whatever reason, it's been a bad matchup for him, and you, you can't really read too much into it? I, I think it's the second one. I don't think you can read too much into it. Uh, as far as them scoring against Flurry or beating him, whether he was with Pittsburgh or whether he was with Vegas, I don't. I don't think is is that big of a deal. I think that that the Wild have always matched up well with the Golden Knights from a from a team perspective. I mean, the way that they play defense, the way that they choke off any sort of offense from the opposition in years past has flustered the Knights, and it's a it's a similar style that Dallas had in the postseason last year, and and we saw Vegas just couldn't score against Dallas in the postseason. They haven't been able to score against Minnesota ever. Um, you know, this is a different wild team, but they can – well, I guess it's hard to say they still play defense after they gave up five goals last night. But, I mean, they, they, are, they are a good team in all their zones. As far as, as, far as Flurry goes, I, I, I wouldn't read too much into that. I would look more at the issues that Vegas has had as a team as a whole. But, it, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's solved. They just put up five last night. We're obviously going to see the Golden Knights play Minnesota seven more times, but it's a four more against Colorado and, and seven more against St. Louis, I think, too. But if you were right now ranking the teams that the Golden Knights should least want to see in the first round of the Western playoffs, who would be one, two, and three? I still think it's you don't want to see Colorado at all. I think you're hoping that they end up in the other bracket and whichever team uh, faces them, knocks them off, so you don't have to worry about the Avalanche. But I think the Wild are right behind. Um, for all the talk of how bad the Pacific or the West Division is this year, and it's it's very top heavy, and the bottom teams in it aren't good. But when you look at that top four of Vegas, St. Louis, Colorado, Minnesota, I mean those three teams have all matched up well against Vegas in the past. So the Golden Knights aren't looking at an easy first round playoff matchup if if those four are the four to come out of the West Division and. Not an easy second-round matchup either. So the Golden Knights, 
I, I think in their history haven't always had the, the toughest playoff matchups uh, in the first or, or even the second round. But um, this year I think that'll change. I think that uh, it's going to be – they're going to have more of a hard-fought first round this season if it is, regardless who it is, Colorado, Minnesota, or St. Louis. Uh, went back to regular lines late last night. What have you made of the switches? Uh, we know what happened against Colorado. Do you think this is just kind of be with DeBoer, kind of like a game-to-game thing and matchups now as to, you know, as he shuffles these things? Yeah, I think they kind of have their, their base lineup. I think that Pacioretty, Stevenson, Stone line, and then the Marshall Carlson, Smith are kind of are kind of your template. You're going to have that most nights. Sometimes you'll switch it up, and we saw that for the last couple of games. And it, it worked for a little while, but then they went back to – kind of what they know and i think that that's what the regular season's for right like the golden knights are playing for seeding there's almost no way that they miss the postseason so right now you can afford to kind of tinker with things tinker with the lineup see what works and then in the postseason i think it's going to be right back to that top six that we've seen for the last two years now and uh i don't think there's anything wrong with that you know it wasn't working against colorado so they they shook it up and it worked and it worked for a couple of games but they didn't they didn't generate much at five on five through two periods last night. And then they went back to what they know works in the long term. And I think that's, I mean, my guess is that's probably what we're going to see tomorrow night is back to that, that usual top six lineup. Uh, we don't have actual information on this because it's an injury with the golden Knights, but uh, how concerned are you with Robin Leonard? A lot more concerned now than I was when he got hurt. Uh, we saw when, that practice, I think he, or the game before or something like that, he took a puck up high and we thought, okay, maybe he's got a stinger on his neck or something. He's, he's just being really precautious and doesn't, precautious? Whatever. Um, he, he didn't want <laughs> to aggravate anything. But, but, but now, I mean, it's been, what, two, three weeks since we've seen Leonard even at practice. And, and I am starting to get worried about him. I think right now the schedule works out that the Golden Knights can kind of can kind of ride out his injury and just let Flurry go between the way that he's playing and how many off days they've had. But they're running out of off days. I think they have, for the rest of the year, only two more days, two more stretches this season where they have uh, more than two days without a game or more than one day without a game. So at some point, Leonard's going to have to come back or else it'll be Oscar Dance or Logan Thompson or whoever in net. So, and, and I am starting to get worried about Leonard. I mean, he's been saying that, you know he's progressing well, but he's been saying that for two weeks now. So until we see him back on the ice, I think it's I think it's fair to kind of wonder how how serious this injury is. Yeah, I mean at one point he's like, well, he was at the rink today. He's getting close, and and you know as well as anyone, when they first come off the pause in terms of injury, it even takes right. It usually takes several days to even get back in a game. It's like, well, he's back now, and we'll see as he goes. So. I'm with you, and I assume you think that the first time we see anyone else is one of the back-to-backs coming up. I mean, they can't just keep playing this guy every game once that starts. Well, that's 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 kind of the issues they've run into in the past, right? The first season, the second, the third season, all all three seasons, they they haven't had a backup goalie that they have really relied on. They've had to go to Flurry so often, and and it worked at the beginning of the year. He's 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 been spectacular at the beginning of every season. Last year, he faded off a little bit. Whether that was, yeah. you know some stuff off the ice or whether it was overuse uh, just because they, they had to go to him because they were fighting for a playoff spot. And, you know, I, I do think that with a couple of back-to-backs coming up, I think there's one this weekend and next weekend too. I think we're going to, they're going to have to go to Oscar Dansk or, or risk or risk just burning flurry out. If Leonard is, is going to be out for an extended period of time. Shouldn't they, I mean, they're going to make the playoffs. Yes, seeding is important. Shouldn't they be? They shouldn't be that worried about going to Oscar Dance, right? Like, it's not like he's going to cost them a playoff spot if they play him four or five games. 
No, I mean, they have, what, 30-ish games, 40 games left, whatever it is. I mean, if Bamp plays 10 of those, I mean, he's not going to lose all 10 of them. But even if you do, you're not, you're not missing a playoff spot. And whether or not how important you put winning the West Division and playing at home in front of now fans potentially for the playoffs or trying to avoid potentially Colorado in the first round, whatever it is. I mean, you want to win the division, but most importantly, you want to make sure that everybody's ready to go in the playoffs because, you know, they were a three seed a couple of years ago. They ended up being the top seed last year. It's just, I'm not sure how much, they always talk about how important home ice is. And I agree you want, you'd rather play at home, but I think it's, you'd rather be the two or the three seed and make sure everybody's healthy than be the top seed. If it costs, you know, people being hurt or burned out by the end of the season. Well, he is Justin Emerson from the Las Vegas Sun. Justin, thanks for coming on, and good congrats, luck with that Congrats, buddy. Kid. Congrats yeah, for me and not Tyler. Congrats yeah, no. for me. No congrats for me. I just, I just, I pity you. That's all I have for you. I pity you. you. Thanks, Justin. Thank you, guys. See you, buddy. Anytime. See ya. All right, coming up next, uh, we talk to Riley Herbst, who's driving in uh, Vegas this weekend in the Xfinity Series on Saturday. We are back to the press box with Grady and Bishop. We're going to be joined in just a couple of minutes by Riley Herbst, who will be racing in the Xfinity Series out at the Speedway on Saturday. But, Ed, Ed, you have a a funny story for us first? I don't know how funny it is. I like to throw things in off the show just out of the blue. (laughs) Gordon Elliott, who has trained two-time Grand National winner Tiger Roll. He's a trainer for horses in England. He was photographed Tyler sitting on a dead horse and taking a phone call. Uh, the photo's under investigation, and he's not going to be able to—he's not going to be able to uh, run horses in the British races until an Irish investigation is concluded. I can tell you, Ireland's going to oh, excommunicate Jesus. this guy. He's going to—he's going to be out on his you know what. The he Irish took a are picture. coming down on him. They're coming down on this kid. <laughs> took a picture of himself sitting on the dead horse taking a phone call, probably ordering a sandwich or something. So what, anyway, there you go. What was the the? What what's the purpose? Like why? I don't know, but he he has issued a statement making an apology for his actions. Like was he on the horse riding it and it died and he was like, well, I can't get off this call, yeah. or did he, or was he like, oh, this will be a cool picture. Let me get off. Like what was the context there? I don't understand that. I'm not sure. We got the guess, but I had to throw that in there because when I see <laughs> stories like this, I think you need to know about it. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Joining us now is Riley Herbst, who will race uh, in the Xfinity Series on Saturday out at the Speed Day. Riley, how are you this morning? Hey, Riley. How's it going, guys? How are you doing? Good. We are good. All right, so what I need to know from you before we get into any actual racing, if we asked your family how good of a driver you are when you're off the track, say just going to the grocery store or something, how good of a driver would they say you are? Um, depends who you ask, but I feel like I do pretty good. Only one speeding <laughs> ticket, and I just kind of cruise. Oh. So, uh, I think my uh, record's all right. Okay. That's, yeah, that, I always wondered that about race car drivers. I think we might have asked Kyle Busch at one point also, because is it because on the track you get the adrenaline out, so when you're amongst us uh, uh, horrible drivers like myself, you don't feel a need to like racists, or do you ever just kind of say, you know what, I need to get there quicker? We always, I always wonder about race car drivers in normal cars or normal situations. Do you ever just push it, or do you say, I, I, I can get that on the track. I don't need to do this. Yeah, usually it's just kind of a cruise on the highway or whatnot. <laughs> uh, unless you're running late to a meeting or something you need to do, then um, the intensity goes up a little bit on the highway, <laughs> which is always fun sometimes. <laughs> Uh, so Riley, this is your, your hometown track. What's it like for you racing in Las Vegas? 
Uh, it's awesome. Uh, kind of a dream come true, to be honest with you. Um, it's super cool to let, how the governor has let some fans come to the race this weekend and uh, race in front of some family and friends this week and um, stop number four on the season. So it's cool to come out, go back home a little early and spend some time with the family and then get to the, get to the track and go to work. Are there, um, like in your own mind, obviously there's been goals all, I mean, you started at five and when you progress through all of the, all of the, you know, divisions, legends, trucks, super late, all those, and you get to Xfinity, where's the goal? I mean, in terms of the trajectory of the next step, do you have to take it, you know, one step at a time? Is it frustrating? Can you see down the road where you want to be? Or is this just, you know, you do the best you can at each, each level you get to. Yeah, definitely got to do the best you can at each level. Um, we're here in the Xfinity Series now, which is very competitive. So um, the only way to move up to the Cup Series is to perform in the Xfinity Series and go win races. And so that's what we're trying to do. And hopefully we can go have a good performance out here in Las Vegas this weekend. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, of all the different types of cars you raced, what's the most fun? Is it stock cars or trucks or is it something like dirt racing? What's the like? What races are the most fun for you? I really do enjoy stock car racing. Um, I also... I've had some fun out in the desert with my family, but stock car racing is so much enjoyable for me, and I, I have a lot of fun doing it. How important, uh, you hear this all the time in, in sports, whether what's the, you know, the franchise you're with, the organization is really good organizations, and there's others that, you know, you know, you don't want to be with. I assume this is the same in racing, given who you're racing for, their support. Uh, how far can that take you comparative to others when you're either racing for Stuart Haas or someone else uh, in terms of a career? Yeah, it's super big in racing. Um, not only with the team you're on, but also what manufacturer and if you have manufacturer support. So it's really cool to be in the Stuart Haas racing camp this year and have the support of Ford Performance and everybody at Ford Motor Company. So um, I'm looking forward to this year and hopefully we can pull the Mustang into victory lane. Riley, I'm curious, looking back to last year, because correct me if I'm wrong, you guys didn't get to, like, practice last year, right? Like, how was racing last season when it wasn't a normal lead-up week into a race? Yeah, it was insane, to be honest with you, to be kind of candid. It's the same way this year. Uh, we don't get practice. We just show up to the racetrack, go through our safety protocols of um, temperature checks and stuff, and hop in the car and go race for 200 laps. So, uh, I was a rookie last year with no practice at all these racetracks I haven't been to. Um, so it was very difficult for me in the first couple parts of the races to get used to the racetrack. And then once I was getting warmed up to the track and everything, the race was over and we were on to the next race next week. So it was kind of a roller coaster each week. Um, but now coming back to tracks for my second time, I'm definitely way more prepared and ready to get after it. Is there, is there like sub one or somehow like how, like who do you lean on or what do you lean on to try to make up that knowledge gap when you're doing it for the first time with no practice at a certain track? Um, it's really cool to have really awesome teammates that race in the cup series at Stuart Haas racing, like Kevin Harvick and Chase Briscoe, Cole Custer and Eric Almarolo that uh, I have a pretty good relationship with them and I can call them anytime and ask them questions and things to look for and things not to look for at these racetracks that we go to across the country. So how much do you like, or how much for at least to get somewhat of a change of pace road, uh, road courses like at Daytona, like, do you like those? I mean, like you've talked about different levels and switching things up. Is it best to have something like that? So it's not kind of the same thing every week. Yeah. So I prefer the ovals type, um, the same like mile and a half track that we're going to at Las Vegas this week. But I also do like the road course racing. Um, it's definitely an art form, and it's mm -hmm. cool to learn and to get better at. And I feel like I've progressed over the last couple of years. So 
we got seven of them on our schedule this year, which is right. more than we've ever had. So it's going to be interesting to say the least. Well, Riley Herbston's racing in the Xfinity Series. Uh, you can catch that on Saturday at 1130. Riley, we appreciate your time this morning. Good luck, yeah, Riley. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. There he so, is. There is Riley Herbston again. 1130 on Saturday wow. is the Xfinity Series. Cup Series is Sunday at 1230 I, out at the Speedway. I drive like I'm one of them, but not on purpose. <laughs> like, I'm not meaning to do it. I just find myself doing it, and I'm not very good at it. Like, well, the, the fascinating part about anybody who races is you also have to do what your normal job is, just like on an everyday basis to yeah. to exist. Like a lot of people don't like to do their jobs outside of their jobs. But if you drive cars for a living, you kind of have to drive cars to exist. So you have to do it outside of the race, too. There's no way. Um, and I think I'm getting this right. Uh, there's no way you saw the movie Days of Thunder. Oh, no chance. Are you okay. kidding me? So Cruz is a race car driver. Uh, Robert Duvall was in it and Nicole Kidman. Uh, Cruz is a race car driver. And there is one scene where his he and his nemesis, the other car driver, they have to go meet like the, the team owner they're, they're for lunch because the team owner is mad at them because they're always like crashing each other. And they get in regular cars and they they race. And I always wondered that, like, that was one of the things I'm like, you know, I think we've in past interviews when I was with Clay, we asked Kyle Bush that, like, how can't you not like race when you're in a regular car? Like, how can you how can you, you know, separate that? And he said, it's really easy. And I've always thought that that's I can't believe that if I'm on the freeway and I have their kind of talent because it's an extreme level of talent they have. I think I'd be going 120. I mean, how can't you? Because their car, the car they're driving during a race is designed to go 120. Your car is designed to go 80, and then the freaking the, the, the rearview mirror oh. will fall off. Never mind, Jared. My Honda Accord can get up to 95 with any with very smooth. Oh, That's oh, Jesus. Don't tell us that. <laughs> My it's God, Eddie. Not... The Irish authorities are about to start investigating you like yes, they're investigating yes. the dead horse guy. <laughs> the dead horse guy. Old Gordon Elliott, who's in trouble over there in the UK. Uh, going to be like, God. this guy's middle name is Fatty. Let's go get him. <laughs> the, so, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> the general rule of thumb with all racing is it's more fun to drive a slow car fast than to drive a fast car slow. So these guys probably aren't racing, but they probably are like, yeah, you know, you're just cruising on the highway, buck 15. Yeah. <laughs> we, we just got a tweet, which is interesting, from Vegas Made Racing. I drive a race car on the weekends for fun and have to return my job driving a sweet sweeper at four miles an hour during the week. <laughs> like, oh, oh, okay. that's a huge difference in what he's doing on the weekends comparative to what he's doing on the week. He's probably only Man. supposed to be going, but he's probably only supposed to be going two miles an hour. So I know, he's I probably mean, two he's, miles over the speed yeah, limit. He's probably he's like, going four. <laughs> oh, can you see me driving a sweet a street sweeper? Oh, I'd be crashing into everything. Oh, yeah, it's huge. You oh, would finally oh. fit. You, knowing you driving it, you'd finally fix the bus sign out in front of the building. <laughs> when you can listen to the press box from 4 to 10. Oh, you and a street sweeper. What oh. a menace to society that would be. Get your cars off the road, in the driveway, in the garage, because... Ed is coming through with the street sweeper. Do they still do demolition derbies? Because I'd love to get Ed signed up for one. Oh, I might win that thing. 
I, you know, I put the seatbelt on and just run into things. I mean, you know, that, that was like, I'm used to this. That'd be a Wednesday. That'd be a Wednesday for me. <laughs> be like, oh, it's Wednesday. I need to run into things. Oh you should have seen last night leaving T-Mobile Arena. Had to had to maneuver around a few uh, signs. It wasn't a good sight. Signs? What the hell are you maneuvering around? Well, that? To, to get down from the media uh, area. There's some signs that they, they, they never, they don't move because it's always the media area and you kind of have to maneuver around them. And most people seem to have a very easy time. I, it takes me a while to get around them. Oh my God. All right. <laughs> Our sharp one yesterday. He is uh, just rolling with the NBA, but first it'll be Luke Perk Dandy of PropSwap.com. We're checking in on the latest news from PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Joining us now is Luke Pergdandy from PropSwap.com. Uh, and Luke, we, we've asked you the last couple of weeks about NBA MVP tickets, but I, I'm curious, Donovan Mitchell, are there Donovan Mitchell tickets out there since the Jazz continue to win? Yeah. Um, yeah, this weekend he was our hottest MVP ticket that we sold was Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he was 75 to one like two weeks ago. Um, and he is now down to, he still can be found at 60 to one on FanDuel. That's, that's crazy. Um, so yeah, you know, obviously we are nationwide, so I'll encourage my New Jersey folks to be making those in New Jersey at 65 (laughs) to 1 and don't have the people in Vegas because that is crazy. I mean, even, like, obviously he's not the biggest name, so maybe he doesn't win it, but just the fact that the Jazz have the best record in the NBA and he's the most noteworthy player, like, it's, I don't know, I'm I'm, I'm amazed when you tell me it's still 60 to 1 because of how good the Jazz have been playing. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. Durant is at twenty to one. I mean, he's sat so many games. I don't, I don't <laughs> see how Durant can win that. Um, you know, Luca is making a nice, a nice push. The, the Mavericks are pretty hot the last couple of weeks here. Um, Steph Curry is twelve to one. I don't, I don't see a chance in hell that Steph can win that just because the Warriors' record and getting blown out by the Lakers this weekend. Um, so yeah, I completely agree. I think, and you know, the Jazz are now down to ten to one to win the NBA Finals. So if you want to play the Jazz, I, in my opinion, much better value to go the Donovan Mitchell route at 65-1 to 1 than paying 10-1 to 1 on the Jazz to win the Finals. I just want Steph to win it so someone can ask LeBron, hey, what do you think? Uh, so <laughs> I know it starts on April 8th, uh, but with Tiger's horrible accident, uh, which was just awful to see that happen, but what are tickets like now in the Masters? I mean, obviously you had one on them. It's not good, but uh, anything moving in it, it's, you know, we just woke up and the Masters just happened uh, because of the pandemic. So it's a little mm-hmm. weird. It's so closely back to back, but what's happening, if anything, on the Masters with tickets now? Yeah, I think if you're holding anyone besides Tiger, the value of that goes up. So whether that's Rory or, um, you know, DeChambeau or Spieth, like the value of all those tickets goes up. Um so yet again, I mean, we're, you know, we talk all the time about how the Masters is, you know, it's just perfect for props off because if you right. have a long shot golfer and then he's in the hunt on Sunday, it's very difficult to hedge out of that. Your options yeah. are start to make side bets on like all these other guys that are in the hunt. It just quickly erodes your profit versus, versus just selling them. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the Masters is, is always just an incredibly high volume on props off. And this year with no Tiger, clearly. 
uh, it's going to be up for for anyone. So I think the next the next four weeks of sports with March Madness starting two weeks from Friday and the Masters coming in right when March Madness is over is, is going to be fun. Well, he is Luke Pergdandy from PropSwap.com. Luke, we appreciate it this morning. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, guys. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. All right, Sean is back. He's gotten three in a row right, all three NBA picks. I think his last two, he's just been picking against the Pacers. Uh, Sean, where would you like to go today? What's up, gentlemen? Good morning. Um, today, let's yeah. switch it up a little bit. We'll go to uh, some NCAA action, and um, let's pick Illinois plus seven. All right, so Illinois has a big game today against Michigan. Um, I actually see a, an eight, so we'll give you a plus eight and a half for Illinois. So you get an extra point there, uh, Illinois and Michigan playing at four o'clock today. So we got you in Illinois plus eight and a half against Michigan. Good luck, Sean. Thanks, Even Sean. Better. We'll take it. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right. So Illinois. And Michigan. Sean might be with us for a while. Isn't isn't Io still out? He's not playing in this one, right? Yeah, he's not. So, but I. I I, I think Sean might be with us for a while. I got a good All feeling right. about Sean. You like that pick, even though Michigan's on fire and can't uh, lose. You like got, Illinois plus eight They've and been half? really, I mean, really good lately. They might struggle tonight. I'm not saying they're going to win, but strong really lean from it. Strong lean yeah. from Ed Grady. <laughs> well, I mean, they, the Illinois coached by the guy who should have been the UNLV coach, according to many people. So, you know. <laughs> we, uh, can we? I, I know that we have something actually on the rundown. No, nope, go is, ahead. Is go there ahead. a coach in this country who's doing, like, well that – People haven't floated as the next UNLV coach. Everyone is the yeah. next UNLV coach, Jared. Listen, you know who's you not have... the next UNLV coach? Paul Weir. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's the thing. Is I would say Paul Weir is more likely to be the next UNLV coach than anyone anyone has ever said is the next UNLV coach. Listen, Jared. Jared, you've got to understand something. First off, UNLV was really, really good in the past. So people still are like, oh, they can make a big-time hire, even though they almost never do. But the problem for UNLV is they had legitimately three coaching searches in the span of three years. Yeah. Because they may had a coaching search, hired Chris Beard, and then he's gone, so they had yes. to do it again and get Marvin Menzies, and then after Menzies get fired, they did it again for Otzelberger. When you have that many coaching searches, oh, yeah. the, la- the last five years, any decent head coach, UNLV fans are like, eh, yeah. we should hire that guy. But- because the other part is, they haven't been very good, so everybody's trying to find the next head coach already. Yes, but that's also, but the fan base, which I'm, I technically am among, always are like out here floating, well, we could get Patino or Thad Mata, what if Coach K leaves Duke? Hey, hey. <laughs> like, Pat- Patina went to Iona. They could have gotten him. <laughs> they could have. They absolutely oh, yeah, could absolutely. Have. At that point, and, that, no and question. Like, and, like, in this instance, we're talking about Brad Underwood, who's at Illinois. Yeah. Brad Underwood at one point was at Stephen F. Austin. Yes. Uh, you know, the timeline, I don't think the timeline matched up. I think he went to Oklahoma State before UNLV made the men's yes. hire. but. Yes. But it's not like UNLV couldn't lure a guy out of Stephen F. Austin at some point. And the same goes no. for um, Nate Oates, who's at Alabama. He was at Buffalo before he took yeah. the Alabama job. Now, when he left Buffalo, he was one of the you know biggest named or most yeah, wanted. Yeah, that would have been. He would have been a tough one. He would have been a tough right. One. That one they probably couldn't have gotten. But you know, he was at Buffalo. It's not crazy to look out there and say, yeah, 
UNLV can steal a guy from Buffalo, can't they? Like, you'd hope so. Maybe not based on the last five to seven years of this program, but you'd hope you can steal the guy from Buffalo. So here, here's the thing, Jared. I know a lot of it's ridiculous, but I am A-OK. I will endorse UNLV fans throwing out any names they want to throw out. Yeah. Because that's, hell, that's half the fun of the coaching search. I just, I, all right, fine. A r- rally at the Tark statue. That's right. Rally <laughs> at the Tark statue. That's what's important here. What is, what is Mike Miller coaching now? Is he coaching high school basketball? Is he coaching? Uh, he's prop. His kid is like, I don't think he's in college. His kid's like an incredible player. He might just be coaching his AAU team. His brother's still at Arizona, right? Jared, no, isn't he's at TCU? You can't. Okay, all right. Even Ed doesn't get the joke, Jared. All right, all right, never mind. Okay. Even Ed doesn't get it, Jared. Okay, Jared right, loves to make jokes. Head. Jared loves to make jokes that the audience does not get that only Ed and I get. That's like his number one contribution to the show. But now he's made one that not even Ed gets because Ed. I will just say this: during UNLV's last coaching search. When Mike Miller was a hot name, right. somebody here in Las Vegas um, was trying to downplay Mike Miller as a candidate because they said his brother, Sean Miller at Arizona, was oh. in deep trouble with the NCAA. <laughs> For those of you that aren't following, Ooh. Mike Miller and Sean Miller are, are not, not related. <laughs> no, They are not brothers. But that was a reasoning to not hire Mike Miller was because his brother was in Arizona and in trouble with the NCAA. Maybe his brother Archie Miller was. Oh, wait a minute. He's Sean Miller's brother. <laughs> okay, so now I get it. Now I get it. Yes. Right. That was about. the it's joke like, Jared was going for that nobody got yeah. except me. Jared just made – he's on the radio doing a show for just me and nobody else. <laughs> oh, I mean – I don't know where Mike Miller is. This kid's really good, though, so I don't think they're getting him either, so – well, he quit Memphis. He was an assistant at yeah. Memphis. Yeah, I think he and now, AAU. Now he's coaching it at the high school team is what it yeah. is. He's coaching okay. a high school basketball team in Germantown, Tennessee, which is outside okay. of Memphis. So, Ooh. yes. Yeah. He's getting Houston, that handler money. Houston High is where he is is the head coach right now. And that is, I don't know, is that a – that's probably not a great sign for people that wanted Mike Miller that he left an assistant college basketball job to go coach high school basketball, right? I mean, so, had can I more. go to the archives? Can I go to the archives and erase my column that said they should hire Mike Miller? <laughs> no, because I thought they should have too. Because it would have no. been fun. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, because if you looked at all the players you got at Memphis, like mm-hmm. take half of those guys, you win the Mountain West. Ed, you cannot treat your column the way the Golden Knights treat hiring a Mexican town service. You have to own That's your right. bad takes. That's right. I'm owning my bad takes. I'm not erasing it off social media. Hey, by the way, if you go to UPIC's website, they still have the Golden Knight jersey on oh. that random model. If, if so, I'm UPIC's, I'm riding that to like the next 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to stop me? I'm UPIC's in yeah. Guadalajara. Cease and desist. <laughs> you don't have jurisdiction. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Is that Mark Stone's face on a jersey? How'd they do that? 